Wong Wah Ken, stash away. Um, we're almost old friends now, man. Um, I remember talking to you back when you started uh, Stash Away years ago. So now you're, you, you were the biggest then and you're still the biggest now, but you extended the lead. Um, yeah, so, so I guess just, just in a very, very short you know, introduction, just tell me what's been going on with you, man. Yeah, it's, it's nice to be with you. And yeah, I remember we did that HTV interview at, at our offices. And in two years, boy, how things have changed. Uh, yes, we were the first. And now, you know, the first robot advisor. And, and now there's a bit of a, uh, a field going on, make things more competitive, we want participants. We're extending our lead, like you said, I think we're still the largest in Malaysia, definitely the largest in, in Singapore. We recently also announced uh, that we manage 1 billion US dollars under management. So that's a huge milestone for, for us. And I would say that overall in balance, things are going quite well. I am on your podcast, so things are definitely going on. <laughs> well that's it's a big honor for me i i let, let's let's start with um gamestop right it's it's mm, really it's really yeah got so much momentum um yeah. just just yesterday a lot of investors were burnt the platforms closed down um i guess just just what, what happened in, in your view what happened and, and what how should we make sense of it all yeah yeah it's a it's a huge kind of confluence of events right so on, on, on one hand, you have hedge fund, you know, Johnny hedge fund short, uh, short sellers who have a lot of capital and insight on their hands. They are targeting weak companies like GameStop who haven't made a profit to, to do short selling. And then on the other hand, you have these uh, individual investors and, and borderline anarchists who want to take it to the man. Lah. And you put together uh, leverage investments through, through options. You put together commission-free trading through Robinhood and the like, low-cost trading and the like, and you get the situation where basically once the hedge funds bet that it will go down, and then the tide of retail investors bet that it's going to go up, and looks like the, the, the little guys club together and look like they're winning. And at the same time, like you said, um, it can go south very quickly, especially when you have options and you're out of the money and you get margin call. So if people are not careful and just go along with the hype, especially since the level of sophistication has been going down less and less with, with Reddit in the years, with all these people being stuck at home in the pandemic, you can really lose your pants, you know? So, so I would say that it's a great so-called moral victory for the retail investor in the States. But also on the other hand, the, the mom and pop investors and the very new Robinhood investors should really be careful and not buy so much into the hype. Yeah, it's it's kind of like morphed into something a lot bigger than um, than originally envisaged. It's become a bit like um, you know us against the one percenters. You know, there was a lot of um, hate against the billionaires and the Wall Street hedge fund guys. And yeah. if you read some of the comments on Reddit, it was actually quite. Um, it's almost it was almost militant, you know. Um, yeah. let, let's go crush those billionaires. Let's take this to the mm. moon. It, it was mad, mm. and the amount of momentum behind it was crazy. How? how mm. it, it seems like invest pe- people's. Mo- it, it's this it seems that things are changing very fast, right? Um, mm. did, did you get a sense of that? Well, we, we see the general trend, right? Like, I think a lot of the enablers came up in the last two years, and then it's only sparked by the 
the pandemic where people are stuck at home, they can't go to sports games and bet and all that, and and then stimulus checks were sent out, right? So, so I I don't think anyone foresaw this coming, but now that it's here, you can see how it how we got here, right? You can look back in the mirror. So, like you said, it's 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 taking it up to the man, and it's everyone being very exuberant. So that's not new. Greed and fear, and it's a very potent mix, and it's a very fine balance. It's not new, right? It's just that we have new platforms, we have new um, securities instruments, like all these options, and you have new platforms like Robinhood, which is making it very easy for a lot of people to do the same thing and communicate at the same time. So that is new, right? And and I think that's why the individual investor really needs to pay attention to all this rather than just be formal and say, oh, I wish I had a part of this because there is a lot of perils to go along with these kind of things. Yeah, a lot of people don't realize, right, but the, the whole commission-free trading thing is already here. Um, I think you can get an eToro account and that's that's very easy, right? And you fill out a few forms and then off you go. And then the whole era of commission-free trading is, is coming. I think the brokers are preparing for the day. It's It could be as, 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 as soon as two to three years away, literally, right? Mm-hmm. Where you don't pay mm-hmm. any brokerage on your trades. Um, mm-hmm. And then on those platforms as well, Ken, you, you also realize this is whole idea of copy trading, right? Where you can just follow other people. You don't have to do any work. And in some in some sense, you, you see that with the robo-advisories, right? You just follow a model portfolio. Um, I mean, what do you think about that? Do, do you think people should be more involved in investing or, or not? Well, I think let's unpack that, right? You, by and large, you have two ways of managing your money. Either you outsource it to a fund manager, like, like Unitrust, like a robot advisor like us, or you do it yourself. And you pick stocks, like our, our good friend and your boss, Malik, who's, uh, who loves the multi-baggers, and uh, value guys, right, who, who have learned from, from, from Benjamin Graham. And then, um, basically, you choose your poison, right? What platform do you use? And like you said, you could either copy someone who has shown good performance, or you can do your own homework and, and pick your own stocks, right? So, so how Sashua is set up is really by going back to the fundamentals, um, like you said, of efficient portfolios. But we take it a step further because not only do we blend ETFs together to form different portfolios of different risks which people can choose from, but we also changed asset allocation from time to time using economic data to help us decide what's the asset allocation given the weather. Like, you're on a beach right now, it's very, very nice. <clears throat> then you should wear a singlet and shorts. But if it turns cold and starts raining, then you need to take out an umbrella and a raincoat. So that's the same with multi-year, multi-decade investing. You can't just go, okay, this is the portfolio, to end all portfolios, and then run it up through thick and thin. Passive investing and portfolios of ETS is not like a wedding. It's not like your marriage. It's not for life. You should change your portfolio from time to time, which is what we do. So it's we'll talk about active and passive investing later, but I would say we are more on the semi-passive side. So to 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 come back to your question, yes, there are a lot more choices, but I think ultimately investors should still think about the same things, right? What's their risk? What's their investment timeline? What's their investment goals? How much are those investment goals? 
and then choose the platforms that really serve them. There's really not one silver bullet, right? You need to put it together, decide how the tool helps you, and then work the plan. Okay, so let's talk about um, 2021, okay? We are hmm. already into the year, okay? There's a lot of volatility. There's a lot of movement in the, all the different asset classes. How do you see markets in uh, this year? Yeah, so 2021, right? Like it has hints of 2020, I think because we're still in the early stages, right? Well, the liquidity uh, rush, is it? The liquidity rush, the, the, the COVID headlines, right? So it's, 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 it's a bit of the old and a bit of the new. But like any other investor, we are looking at this year and saying, okay, how should I be positioned? Where can the big bucks be made, right? And we see 2021 as a bit of a recovery year, right? Because 2020 was so devastating. There will be some uh, rebalancing activity where the cyclicals will come back up and uh, things like, like energy, things like emerging markets should come back up and, and, and recover, right? And then on the other hand, we also think that the factors influencing the, the markets are less risky than last year. For example, the risk this year when COVID is, is uh, regarded is more about the rollout of the vaccine and how fast it is rolled out. So that is the risk, right? And that is a much better risk to take than how many people are going to get infected, how many economies are going to close down. And then on the other hand, you have a political situation, which hopefully is better with, with a much more mature administration in place so that you don't have that kind of volatility and geopolitical risk. So it's a bit of a risk on market. And at the same time, you still have the Fed with its large position that it has accumulated last year. So maybe there'll be a bit of a, um, a um, minimizing of their portfolio gradually, like they did after the global financial crisis in 08. So to round it out, I would say to investors, even though 2021 should be better than 2020, I will be cautious, I will diversify because when we look back at the last 10 years, and look at what has performed the best every year in the last 10 years, you get seven winners. So it's, it's, it's very hard to predict and you should be diversified because truth of the matter, everyone wants to be in Bitcoin in 2018, I guess Bitcoin again in 2020, they want Tesla in 2020, they want rubber gloves, they want GameStop in 2021, well, until yesterday. So so, so you can't just play this whack-a-mole, you, know? you, need, you need to zoom out, do asset allocation like the pros, pick a portfolio that is multi-asset and diversified and ride through 2021 with ease, not with anxiety and, and, and all the adrenaline of a, of a base, base jumper. Yeah, so the fund managers always say that, right? Um, be diversified, um, have a multi-asset portfolio, and that's kind of like the formula, especially for fund managers like yourself, in a way, right? Asset managers, right? Absolutely, um, yeah. Yeah. Is there a focus though? Like, um, I, I know on, on Stash you can tweak your portfolio, right? You can actually uh, amp up the risk and you can amp it down, you know. Um, um, sh should there be a more of a focus on, say, say, say stocks, for example? Or sh should there be more of a focus on cryptocurrencies, for example? And then how, how do you guys respond 
to to that demand because it's it's all formulaic right in a way. Mm-hmm. Well, I would say it again, right? Like it it comes back to the big picture for the individual investor. What is your investment goal? How much do you really need to amass to reach those goals? What is your retirement number, for example? How much do you want to put down on that house? How are you going to pay for that new car? How do you want to pay for that wedding? All these things relate to how this investor invests, right? So, for us, the focus is on risk and return. That there's there's really no change, but what we have done is make it very easy for people to get multi-asset portfolios and to invest globally. So that's worked very well for us. And then there are there is what's next, right? What what else can we do from here? So last year we launched Stashway Simple, which is a cash management product, which is more fundamental than actually uh, you know the broader investing as well. Because if you don't manage your spare cash well for your safety net and get some return out of it, other than zero, it's really not maximizing the potential of your idle cash. It's sitting there with zero, it's sitting locked up in FD. So that's what we've launched in 2020. And we think that that coupled along with our, our global investing portfolios will help people uh, grow their wealth. And then you have all these other alternatives, right? Like you mentioned, uh, you have uh, uh, and pick your single stocks, you can um, pick uh, what cryptocurrencies you like, you can go into equity crowdfunding or peer-to-peer lending. I would say definitely allocate some of your overall investment portfolio towards these benefits, but you must understand the risks that are involved, right? So let's start by single stocks. Single stocks, all well and good when the sun is shining. And and Financial was on the verge of this thing. Alibaba was flying high. Fund managers were asking, high net worth, you want allocation or not? I can get get it for you. Lo and behold, Chinese government pulled the plug, slapped a bunch of regulation, which and Financial needs to put in place. Alibaba's stock tanks 20%. Jack Ma goes missing for a while. Maybe you go somewhere to distress. Then he come back and things are kind of even keel again, right? So then at that time, you don't want to be a single stockholder in Alibaba. You want to be well diversified, right? So you've got to be very, very aware of the single stock uh, risks that are involved. So even when you're taking stocks, you can't just go all in in one or two or three, right? You need know, five to 10 stocks to really build up a portfolio. And there's, there's work that goes into it, right? Let's not, let's not kid ourselves. So, so that's, that's that. You really need to, to be a bit of an analyst and you got to like it to do it. You can't just passively invest your, your, your single stock from afar. And then you've got cryptocurrency these days, right? So even, even Bitcoin is, well, well, we did have a very magical run in 2020. It came down recently off its highs, I think down 30% of its highs. It's around 30,000 US per, per Bitcoin. It was up at 35 at, at one point and it's looking a bit soft. So all well and good when it's on the way up, but then on the way down, what do you do, right? Do you have faith in the underlying asset, if you want to call it that? And then there's other coins that are doing well, like there's these new things, DeFi, there's Ethereum, which reached an all-time high. So again, it's about diversifying within the asset class. Then you've got other, other, other more esoteric things, up, but you really need to understand the risk before investing. So very, very long answer, I know, but the individual investor needs to understand this and return. And then choose what portfolio works for them. And then chunk it up 50% into core balance portfolios, multi asset. And then the other 50%, 30%, depending on how savvy you are, you can play with something else. Whatever, what, what you shouldn't do is go, okay, high conviction, I so called 
Sailang all on black. That's that's not the way to go, man. That's uh, that's that's way too risky for your for your investor who has real obligations in life. People depending on them and so on and so forth. So how do you actively um, tweak your portfolios? Because I know you do uh, you, you do these little minute changes from time to time, right? What what mm-hmm. drives those decisions? Because you are basically acting on behalf of the of the investor. Mm. Right. So that's when you when you yes correct. So when you think about it, um, fund managers are uh, the, the traditional fund managers. I mean, <clears throat> are active investors, right? They they try and they they they, they play with. Uh, security selection and try and pick the best stocks or bonds and try and beat their benchmarks of the market. For us, because we are semi-passive, we do change the asset allocation from time to time, like you mentioned. So we call this reoptimization. Because it's semi-passive, we only do it very, very uh, infrequently and on a strategic basis, meaning mid to long term. If we see risk factors or data that suggest that things have changed from a risk reward on a mid to long term, then we change. So we've been up and running for about almost four years and we, we, we have changed this asset allocation three times. So, so like you asked, what, is the, what are the factors that drive this? We look at economic fundamentals. So we look at inflation, we look at growth. So we look at things like the, the Conference Board Leading Economic Indicator Index, which takes into account 20 uh, economic um, pieces of data. And then we look at inflation, and then we look at some other factors like uh, currencies. We look at um, uh, we also look at valuation. So all these things come together for us to decide whether there's upside versus the risk and reward that, that we can offer clients, given where we are in this uh, economic cycle, right? So we don't we don't make trading decisions. We make strategic asset allocation decisions based on data to give you the best portfolio for this time, right? So let me, let me, let me uh, expand on this a little bit. So last year, for example, when we saw, we, we did a change in May. We, the, the system saw that the US Fed was printing a lot of money. And then we saw the COVID situation hit different parts of the world differently. So actually the system we optimized to include more Chinese tech because it was recovering from COVID and wasn't so reliant on physical economy and supply chains. And then also we moved away from US dollar exposure to more gold because gold is like a currency of its own. It essentially shorts US dollar. So we moved away from US dollar a bit, which we saw was depreciating, which the system did. And then we went more into gold, which obviously did very well last year, 20-25%. So these are the little changes that you mentioned. and. The investor just has to sit back. We communicate the changes. They see that it's happening. And, and then they stay invested so, so they can continue invested for the, for the long haul. Um, now, with the internet going where it is, right? With the amount of information out there, I mean, you can essentially get information from everywhere now, right? Um, my, my question is, are investors getting smarter, right? And what are your five essential tips to becoming a better investor? Five essential tips. So I think by and large, I would agree with the premise that investors are getting, <clears throat> they're getting smarter. There's just more ways of thinking, more methods of investing, and it's an accumulation of all the investing knowledge and savvy that we have gone through and built on each other, right? 
So I would say at the same time, what is hardwired in us is the is 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 fear and greed. Those things don't change. So it's really whether they can they can rein in the those emotions and let their IQ do the do the work. But at the same time, the market doesn't always reward um, smart investors. Smart investors, like institutional investors, might be might be very focused on the fundamentals. Whereas retail investors um, and people who run the forum, it's very similar to Reddit. Uh, look, look, look at things very differently. So they might hype up something. They might talk about something that is not quantifiable, the future, and then it gets hyped up. So, would you say one is wrong on one or the other? I would say that's just the market, right? That that, that is just what the market is. It's exuberant. It's irrational at times. And what the investor has to do to balance out both of these forces in the market. Is to really have a disciplined method to investing. Whatever it is, work the plan. Because if you jump from one style to another, and there are many types of styles out there, you end up being erratic, and you end up being probably very disappointed with your results. So if you're a fundamental guy, stick to your fundamentals. If you're a, a momentum trader, you trade based on headlines. You trade based on momentum of, of where investors are rushing. Stick to that method. Refine your skills. And, and, and then um, and, and and then stick to your to your discipline. So that leads on to I guess the five essential tips that you you talked about, right? So let me just point them out in bullet form first. So so the first thing is timeline. What is your timeline to to invest? You are investing presumably for a future financial goal. So how much time do you really have? Is it five years, twenty years? Because that determine how much risk you can take. Low, uh, low risk for short period of time, high risk for long horizons. Um, the second thing I would say is your risk tolerance. Don't so for more and say, oh, strong investor in this, I should pile in without knowing anything about it. If you make a recommendation, all well and good, I pile in. But you're not going to be there necessarily to tell me when to sell, tell me when to buy, come on. So you've got to rely on your own Wits to 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 decide. So, figure out your own risk preference. This takes experience, because you need to be invested to know your emotions. So, so risk tolerance is very very important. Uh, third thing I'll say is diversification. Diversification is a very very huge factor to remaining invested for the long term. Make sure you spread your bets around, and position your portfolio well according to your risk because. You shouldn't just play whack a mole with what's going to do well this year and what's going to do well now, right? And the fourth thing I would say is fees. If you're trading, if you are long-term investor, you also need to look for fees that will really work against you because it erodes your gross returns. The net returns might be eroded away; it's terrible, right? So fees, fees, fees. Just look out for them. Unit trusts, investment-linked products, all notoriously high fees. The last one I would say is is getting started, right? Like like for 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 some of you who are sophisticated already, I think this doesn't apply to you. But if you're new and you procrastinate, then the compounding effect will also not work for you. Time value of money will work against you. If you start investing now, you start investing 
small sums of money. You don't have to go in big. Then you could really learn from your formative years. And if you make gains, they will actually compound on itself and set you up very nicely for the future. I think what every savvy investor knows is they wish they start earlier because then the amounts of money they need to put aside and the compound returns that they expect from their returns actually takes a lot of pressure off if you start early. So there are a lot of investment platforms you can you can try now for a thousand bucks, for ten thousand bucks or less, and just get started. So yeah, that's my five. All right, Ken. So um, the focus shifts back to you. How do you invest yourself? What are your strategies? And I understand you probably someone in his early thirties, right? Um, what is the investment thinking that you are adopting at this point in time in your life? Yeah, so there's a lot of people I would say like me, early thirties, recently married, ex, uh, uh, planning for kids, and then also um, a salary man, right? Like uh, not not running my own business, uh, so taking salary every month. So white collar people like me, there's a lot in KL, a lot of in Malaysia, right? So the way I do it is first. I, I want to be debt free, so whatever excess cash I have, I really plow into my, my mortgage. I hope to retire within uh, less than five years, so so that at least whatever from a risk management standpoint, I can be risk, I can be debt free. Secondly, working for Stash Away, I, I really do use my own product as well. So I have two portfolios. One is balanced, one is high risk. So for different things, one is medium term, one is long term. So uh, the risky one is equivalent to 100% equities and the balanced one is equivalent to 60% equities, 40% bonds. So so that way, you know, at least part of my salary every month goes towards Stashway and I'm very, very happy with it. Since launch, I've been invested obviously and then I've gained 15 to 17% per annum, which I think is, is decent. I mean, I'm very calm about the whole thing. I don't really need to, to worry too much about it. And then after that, because I'm working in fintech, I do see some opportunities to invest in some um, fintech companies in Malaysia as well. So sometimes they, they just happen by chance. Sometimes they are through equity crowdfunding platforms. So I, I, I have a little bit more insight into fintech. So I, I like to think that I can put some, some, some money aside to these uh, rather illiquid uh, opportunities. But if they go big, like if they become unicorns and all that, then I have a small piece of that. If they go public, you know, that'd be nice. Um, and then small part of my portfolio, I do put aside to try different platforms, things like peer-to-peer lending, which I've been using since uh, since it came out um, four or five years ago, because they give you, uh, in theory, 10, 12% uh, returns on your, on your uh, basically your your debt or credits on SMEs, but because of COVID, I'm a bit more selective on that because SMEs are falling like flies and you really need to pick the best out of the best, no one you're investing in. Um, and then the last one, I dabbled early last year, a little bit, you know, less than 5k into Bitcoin, which has done quite well. That one, I've taken some profit and I guess that's my copy tier money for this year. Lah. So. Still have some money there, letting it run, but I'm, a big part of my portfolio and my wealth goes into minimizing debt and also uh, broad portfolios like, like, like Stashway and some other unit trust. Yeah, okay, so I'm no financial advisor, right? But um, it just seems to me that you're quite 
uh, low risk for someone of your age, um, mm. and and by investing in your property and trying to get to debt free status there, it seems that it's extremely conservative because obviously interest rates are very low now, and some people will be using that cheap money uh, era to to really ramp up the investments. Um, would you be representative of the norm being this conservative? Yeah, I. I... I think there is a there is a spectrum, right? And I I don't have data to show what people are doing holistically with their money. But what I do have data on is how people are investing in non stashaway. And there are a lot of uh, anecdotal evidence and cliches out there, like oh, old people are uh, more conservative. Um, women investors are more conservative. But what we're seeing on the platform is that a lot of people pick portfolios that they like. Uh, according to their, their their preferences, so we see some young people picking conservative portfolios. We see some middle-aged people picking super high risk. So so I think across the board, the you know people are quite balanced like, because it all it all balances out. So sixty forty is the most um the, the most popular portfolio on on stash rate. Sixty percent equities, forty percent uh, fixed income. So I would say I am more on the conservative side, but that's because I don't pick um, single stocks where right? I leave it all to, to fund managers and things like that. Because I think it's a it's a it's, it's more about my career, right? I, I used to work for Kazana and I moved to Afinquang and there are a lot of restrictions on what an uh, investment professional or what an investment banker. And now me now as a capital market representative can hold, right? And the kind of information that comes in. So there's a bit of well, like circumstances of my career and a bit of habit as well. So I never really got into the habit of like picking individual stocks. Um, so so that's just just that's just me. Uh, everyone has their own kind of preferences. I I know earlier on you talked about how everybody should have their number, right? Um, do you have a number, and how do you come to that number? Right. So um, you can look at the holistic thing. Uh, what does your net? What do you want your net worth to be? And then you can have a more specific number, which is a uh, say your retirement number. So the net worth number is really what you want to be. Are you, are you like Bruno Mars? You want to be a billionaire so bad, or do you you know want to be something more realistic, right? So I don't have a net worth number that I'm aiming for, but a retirement number I think some somewhere north of. Uh, north of uh, two to three million is, is, is okay for retirement. So you can draw six to 8,000 every month for 25 years. So for that to, to, to come up with that number, basically there's some inputs, basically how far are you away from retirement? Um, how much compounding do you think that your assets will, will return in your retirement years so that your, your retirement balance can also earn while you're retired? And then uh, how much you're going to spend, obviously, every year during your retirement. So um, all, this, all, all this is not proprietary. You know, there are retirement calculators out there, which I've used, and come up with, you know, anywhere between 2 to 3 million in today's money, because inflation really uh, skews things a little bit. So when, when I reach my retirement, I think that number will be, will be much larger than 2 or 3. I can't do, I can't do uh, compound maths in the morning, but... Uh, two three million today's money, I think, is somewhere safe for retirement. Um, you know, 
obviously, you know, you, you're doing a lot of interesting things at uh, Stash. Um, you're doing deposit taking. I think 2.4% is your return. I, I'm a client of yours. I'm going to declare, right? Um, my, I'm an old guy, <laughs> but my risk profile is, is like amped up to 36%. <laughs> Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm the highest should risk. Be, okay, should be pretty happy with that one. Last year I did quite well. I think I did okay that one, but if I've started a couple of other funds as well, I'm sure you're gonna go and check after this. <laughs> That's just yeah. a little bit lah, just a little bit, just you know, um, baby steps. Um, I, I just guess parting start shots can you know investing for the next 10, 20 years. What's gonna happen because the last five years this has been unprecedented for everybody, right? How do you see the mm-hmm. next five, ten years? I think you will see more access to international markets. You will see more choices of new asset classes. Um, but at the end of the day, it comes back to your personal situation and what you're comfortable with, right? If you were a product of the late 90s, you would be a property person. Um, same if you were a product of the early 2000s. Now, now property investing is not that, not that involved. So I think ultimately it comes back to your personal goals, what you want to achieve, right? Just focus on those. The disciplines of investing don't change like the wind. They, they take years to form and holding on your discipline. So ultimately, understanding your risk return is super important. And after that, pick the platforms that, that work for you. There might be other platforms that, are, that help you invest more aggressively. There are some that help you invest in a core and balanced way. And other than that, I would say just don't invest in something you don't understand. Don't be formal. Don't don't sideline or go, go all on red. You know, don't do things like that, especially with your family. So just just keep your head, and you'll be fine. Right, whatever comes five ten years from now, and five years five years from now, ten years from now, I I, I hope we can come back and then look back at the time where we were, we were saying all these things and see how right or wrong we all are. Okay, man, dude. Thanks a lot for your time, dude. Good luck. Good luck for the year ahead. Take care. Thanks, Sean. Stay safe, man.